I'm not gonna lie to him, I'm surprised we've never started any episode with Snoop Dogg. Well, I mean, I never realized he even, even wore a Sense jersey, so... Yeah. That's news to me. But, flick open. You know, I don't care what anybody says, this is actually a pretty solid Snoop Jam. I don't think anyone really talks bad about it, although it's, uh, what's fun is this is one of the Snoop songs that gets remixed to shit on YouTube. So what'll happen is they'll take, like, a piece of music, like, from a video game or an anime opening song. Yeah. And remix it with this, and, uh, rename it either that or Smoke Weed Every Day. Oh, and, uh, next uh, episode? Yeah. So it was, it was really... You get some really good ones like uh, Nichi Smoke, where they take actually the whole song and fit it to the anime opening, and then edit it to look like all the characters are higher doing drugs or something. Huh, that's awesome. It's honestly fantastic. Weed the Weed was pretty good, too. Yeah, you know what's also awesome, Tim? Yeah. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jansey. Tim, I gotta ask the all-important question. Did you get at least a little bit contact high listening to Snoop Dogg? Always do. Man, like, that's... It's hard to believe, man, that it's Snoop Dogg. From, like, middle school. Oh, I know. That's, a, that's one of those jams from middle school that, really, I always go back and think of. It's, like, between that and Yeah by Usher. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, by yeah, Usher was like every seventh grade dance jam right there. Oh, uh, I think the one that people always tried to slip in when we were doing dances was uh, "Smack That" by Akon. Yeah. Candy Shop by Fifty Cent. Yeah, can Candy Shop was awful. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a we're a Catholic school, so uh, obviously we can't do that. Yeah. Hey, Chelsea, do you have any songs from your days in middle school people trying to slip into the dances? Got her headphones in. Oh. Yeah, so I'll have to ask to get back. But actually, the one that always got through and never really fit at a dance is like Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance. Shit's not dancing music. That's crying in your room music. Oh, I know. And you know what's funny is that I heard the... What the fuck did I hear? It was Fall Out Boy. I heard Fall Out Boy on the radio later, and I was like... Oh, God, I remember when those guys were popular. Apparently, My Chemical Romance is getting back together, and uh, that's uh, cool, I guess. Uh, teenage Angst is back on the menu. Yeah, I mean, it's not as cool as Rage Against the Machine reuniting, but, you know, I guess all the bands from the past are now be like, yeah, there's a lot of money to be made of this. Yeah, well, I mean, can't hate them. Well, I can. I mean, I, I never liked My Chemical Romance, to be honest. True, but if people are going to give them money to go be, go do whatever it is they do, I can't hate them for taking it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point. So Tim, let's get right into this episode, because today's episode is Season 3, Episode 6 in chronological order, Episode 60, the Snoop Dogg edition, also known as Calvin Brodus, also known as Snoop Doggy Dog, also known as Snoop Lion. And also, I didn't... about the Snoop Lion thing. That's true, but I also found out Snoopzilla was one of them as well. Really? Yeah, like, I like Snoop Dogg. I like Snoop Dogg Fears, but I don't ever remember him being referred to as Snoop Lion... Or, not Snoop Lion, uh, Snoopzilla. Yeah, because Snoop Lion was like a two-hour thing on Twitter that nobody's gonna let him forget. But I never heard of Snoopzilla. What the hell is that? 
Oh, here, Google says it's a thing. Yeah, and if it's on Google, it's got to be true, guys. It happened in 2013, apparently, for something called Seven Days of Funk. Oh, that would be a, that'd be a good uh, G-Funk album name. Yeah. Let's see, let's talk a little bit about Snoop Dogg, because we got to give a little backstory. Snoop Dogg, now this is a really great, this is one thing I really like about doing the show, is that I get to learn a lot about said players that we talk about on the show, but... I'll be honest, as, year, as many years as I've been a fan of Snoop Dogg, I'll be the first to honest, I didn't know much about his backstory. Like, I couldn't tell you he's released 17 studio records, selling over 35 million records worldwide. One thing that I really found interesting, though, he has 17 Grammy nominations, and he hasn't won a single one. How? That's really impressive. I know, that's one of those things. Like, Snoop Dogg, to me, when I think about the early 90s gangster rap... I kind of think of him in the way that people think of like Marvin Gaye when they talk about Motown. And I'll explain why. Because when it comes to gangster rap, Snoop was always like the Marvin Gaye. He was not a big, you know, big opposing guy with this big booming voice. He was just a, you know, a really smooth, smooth delivery, always really good with his lyrics. And I always thought that Notorious B.I.G. was more of the... He was more like the Barry White of gangster rap, where he was just this big guy, big booming voice, and Snoop wasn't. But I've always been a big fan of Snoop, and it's actually funny. This the picture that I chose for today's episode was the hit was him with the late Ray Emery. And as you remember, Tim, back in the day when Facebook first became a thing, that was one of my very first profile pictures. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. But uh, no, it's that's actually a really cool. I didn't even know that. I forgot about that connection. That's super cool. Yeah, now this is actually a very controversial pick because during the 2007 Stanley Cup Finals, he was actually going for the Anaheim Ducks because he lives in California. How can you do it to his buddy Ray? I know, but here's the funny thing about Snoop Dogg in sports is that he's never been solely a fan of one team. Like, if you go back and look at his videos or you go on his Wikipedia page and look up under sports, like, he's been a fan of, like, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Los Angeles Raiders, teams like that in the NFL. And, of course, he's a Dodgers fan. But in the NHL, he was known to wear jerseys for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, I believe the Canucks were one of them, the Springfield Indians. And he's worn the Ottawa Senator jerseys on a number of occasions at concerts and, of course, with the pick that we use today for today's episode. So there's that. But no, it's really good. I've always been a big Snoop fan, and I'm really happy to see that he could be our cover athlete for this week's episode. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was fun. So let's talk about next week's poll, because next week's episode is Season 3, Episode 7, in chronological order, Episode 61. Now, we've got four names on the board. We've got Sylvain Turgeon, Oleg Saprikin, Mark Stone, and Andre Benoit. It's a weird poll right now. Yeah, or if you want to be like our bot Adam, you can also write in Corey Stillman. This makes me wonder, is there any players we've left off the poll before? Yes, there is. It's just one of those things where there's like so many players for certain numbers where it's like, okay, that guy didn't play very long. I don't remember him as a center. I kind of look at it and I kind of handpick it. This guy, this guy, this guy, and this person. I'll throw them on the poll because they're the ones that people would probably most recognize wearing that jersey number. Yeah, and I, it's probably like those middle numbers, like around the 30s, like the 20s and the 40s. 
I imagine where it mostly happens because like your low numbers are probably held by veterans who hold them for a while, and the high numbers you get two. Mm-hmm. Because I know after next week's episode, the next four weeks we're not going to have a cover athlete poll because we've got four players already picked for that. Just the only guys who've worn uh, sixty-two through sixty-six. Nope, sixty-two to sixty-five. 65, yeah. Well, in 66, too, there has never been a player worn number 66, either, with the Ottawa Senators. We might have to, uh, we actually, we might have to come up with something Josh creative. I don't know if we're going to get Josh Osang. You know what? If we <laughs> land Josh Osang, he can definitely be our cover athlete for that episode. But, yeah, we might have to come up with something fun and creative for episode number 66 for our cover athlete, Tim. I wonder what else we could do, because, like, the rapper one was actually pretty solid, because, well, rappers are known for wearing sports jerseys, but, uh, ooh, I wonder if we could do, like, in-house entertainment or something, or, like, concert that went out of, uh, Canadian Tire or something like that. It'd be fun. Yeah, it could be fun. We'll wrap our heads around it, and we'll figure it out. And actually, the one thing I wanted to point out, because, and you brought this up with rappers wearing hockey jer- or sports jerseys. Nowadays, you don't see that anymore. And I remember mentioning that to somebody at work. I was like, you know, I kind of miss the days where you would go onto much music or MTV and you would see hip hop videos and the guys would wear like, you know, Atlanta Falcon jerseys or St. Louis Blues jerseys or those kind of sports jerseys. Like I remember in the early 2000s, like Nelly always rapped always about the St. Louis teams and you had, you know, Little John was wearing the Atlanta Thrasher jerseys and... You just don't see that anymore nowadays. I wonder how much of that is uh, just the East-West competition is dagged down. So, like, that local element isn't as much of the brand anymore. And I also think part of it is mumble rap might have killed it a bit. That's true. Because it's just about whining about yourself and not singing about a place or a thing. Or a situation, really. Yeah, I don't know. So it's always Drake ruins everything, even if he doesn't directly ruin it. Fucking Drake. God damn, that guy ruins everything. Yeah, well, actually, I can't blame him too hard, because the man is the face of the Raptors. That's true, and he was one of the guys, he was the main force as well. The NBA brought the All-Star game to Toronto in 2016. Yeah, that was a ton of fun, too, so, like, I can't hate on the guy. It's just, I I lived in Toronto for a year. I had enough Drake for a lifetime. Yeah, I know. I mean, I live on the West Coast, and honestly, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Even I've gotten enough Drake in my life that I don't need anymore. (laughs) Again, can't hate the guy. So, Tim, let's talk about this week, or sorry, this recap last week, because I was under the impression that you and Chelsea were going to head up to Edmonton. Now, I understand that didn't happen because of the weather. Can you talk a little bit about that with us? Yeah, so what ended up happening is we just got a huge dumping overnight and through the morning, so the roads were just way too dangerous to traverse. Like, even with winter tires, it just it wasn't happening. And parts of Queen Elizabeth Highway, the number two that goes between Alberta and Edmonton, it's like it's dual lane the whole way and not a ton of curves, but there's a lot of short entrance on-ramps and off-ramps, and uh, part of it, it's just very difficult to get and keep just because it's such a long highway. Yeah, kind of like the Coquihalla here in BC. Although it's not mountainous, obviously. It's fucking flat. But, <laughs> yeah, it's just hard to maintain because it's just so long. And uh, it was warming and cooling during the day. Right. So it was a dangerous... It was like a mix of sl- snow, slush, freezing rain. Like, it was just a mess. So we just didn't drive up. 
Okay. I thought it might have something to do with the fact that when Art Bod Joseph wrote his recent article about the Edmonton Oilers, I asked him if, because the Oilers are winning, that they can't call themselves the City of Draft and Oilers Champions anymore. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, so, honestly, I haven't been doing that much this week. We're mostly just trying to... So, yeah, we're trying to buy... We're in the process of buying a house, so we're just trying to... We did some... I don't want to call it job interviews, but it was basically job interviews for realtors to figure out if we find a realtor that we like and is looking at things in a way that complements the way we look at things. Right, so, so it's not going to be like a casting couch sort of audition. No. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so unfortunately that means that I missed quite a bit of the games this week just because uh, when my schedules and Chelsea's schedule work just happened to be evenings. Yeah, no, that's fair, Tim. So I'll talk a little bit about my week because, honestly, I've had a, an all right week. I finally got back on the ice after a couple of weeks. Didn't score, but almost almost potted a couple of there on Wednesday morning. And overall, work's been pretty good. We did our third round of parent-teacher interviews, which I actually mentioned this to somebody at work. And I said, you know, I remember when I was in school, like, really, we used to do our parent-teacher interviews in one night. And it was, like, a couple of hundred kids in, like, three hours. The school that I work at, they've done like three rounds of these parent-teacher interviews. And honestly, it's just like, really? Like, I was like, I don't know, memory change, things have changed since I was in school, but I don't remember this being ever being a thing. Well, I think, I think there's a lot more going on. I think, one, Brentwood's a bigger school, if I, if I remember. Two, there's a boarding element. Yep. So, there's, prob there's probably more needed oversight. And the parents are coming up. If the parents are coming away to see the kids boarding, then what's the point for them coming one day and having like a few a few people in the same interview sort of thing? Because I remember, yeah, same thing happened. Even when I was in Halifax, they'd do it over one night, and you'd have five or six parents at once. Yeah, but I guess that's maybe that's the difference between students. Pardon? Yeah, maybe that's the difference between a boarding and a public school than we went. Well. We went to an independent, like, it's not private, but it's a Catholic school, so. It, but Q of A is also a very small school. Yeah, so that's true. you could do one-on-one -on -one meetings in a night. Because there was only one class per grade level. Two, if you were lucky. Yeah, so. No, it was alright. I mean, obviously, my week, week was alright. And uh, weekend was pretty good. I've just been prepping for today's episode. And I actually want to talk a little bit about last week's episode because, and I actually brought up the numbers, Tim. Yeah. I, wow, I, I really still cannot believe we hit 88 listens for last week's episode. And I was kind of thinking about that. I was like, what exactly was the reason? Like, nothing was really different. We didn't really, well, outside of our discussion about Eric Brandstrom, I mean, we didn't really say anything controversial or, you know bold or over the top but i think a lot of it might have had to do with the fact that the scott sabrin hit was such a big league-wide story last weekend and maybe that's where we got that big bump in numbers for last week's episode yeah so like just people were paying more attention to the sense in general and i think it also helps that the sense had a good week this week oh so my god did they ever the have a good week this week Ooh, love it yeah um so we have good stuff to talk about for once which is awesome and Honestly, I think last week was pre 
we did pretty good radio last week, honestly, even if we had, like, and I think disagreement's definitely healthy for this sort of show. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm glad it was an episode, an episode that got a bit more focused was an episode that we were on for. Yeah, and that was the one thing I noticed last week is that I was firing at all in cylinders, and especially my comments about Eric Branstrom, which I still stand behind because I still feel that we need to take a little bit of the pressure off him as a second pairing defenseman. And, and that's just my personal view on it. Right. And obviously you didn't have the same point of view as I did. And, and that's the great thing about this podcast is that you and I don't have to have the same point of views, the same set of opinions when it comes to topics like this. And even in the last couple of seasons, like we've argued on the show about certain topics, but at the end of the episode, we always end up talking about it anyway. We're like, yeah, I can kind of see why you have that point of view. Well, I think one of the big things is I don't think you are actually really having an interesting discussion. If you can't figure out what the person you're talking to is thinking, because how are you able to address what they're thinking? If you don't understand what they're talking about in the first place. So you got to listen before you can disagree, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, that's the one thing I always liked about this show is that you and I can always have our conversations and discussions about stuff. But at the end of the episode, it's nothing personal and we can always, it's always on water under the fridge and we can just move on to the next week. I hope you don't have water under the fridge. No, I hope I don't have water in the fridge either. <laughs> but I do have something that involves water. Now, the one thing about today's episode, Tim, and I know that I was talking to you on Facebook Messenger about this. Because today is Monday, and a certain Seattle football team is on Monday Night Football versus the hated San Francisco 49ers. Now, as you know, I am a Seahawks fan, so I'm just going to crack one of these open and have a, few, have a couple sips from my Seahawks because we're going to battle here against the hated San Francisco 49ers, 8-0 division rival. But I feel that this clip I found on YouTube should actually be the catalyst for today's episode, Tim. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Tim. Like, I went to a game years ago. They do chat that. It's awesome. Oh, nice. God, I hope they don't lose to the Niners today. Fuck, I will be so upset if they lose. God, I yeah. hate the Niners. Either way... Like, uh, one of my buddies uh, from California is a big, big 49ers guy. So, either way, my Facebook's going to be interesting tonight. Yeah, that's true. I mean, even between that and your Twitter feed tonight when I start watching the game. <laughs> now, with all that out of the way, Tim, I feel the best way we should continue on this episode is to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So, Tim, we've got a couple of great stories to talk about. And the best way we're going to go about it is by talking about NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has announced Finland and the Czech Republic will be the host of the 2020 Global Series regular season games. The Boston Bruins and National Predators will open the regular season in Prague, while Columbus and Colorado will meet later in the fall in Helsinki for a couple of games. Boston and Nashville will also finish its training camps in Germany and Switzerland, while also playing an exhibition game. I, I don't know about you, Tim. I think I kind of have mixed feelings about this whole global series thing. And the, one of the big things I've always had is that they're going to countries where the NHL already has a fan base with a number of the players from these countries coming over and they're playing like Sweden and Finland and the Czech Republic. 
And I know last season they went to Japan and China to do these things, but there's always been the argument of, well, why is the NHL going there when they could just send the players to the Olympics every couple of years? I think one of the big differences is uh, if you send the players, you don't get the brand recognition of the teams. No, but the thing is, though, is you, they're playing for a flag and not a logo, right? True, but if you send the, the top players in the NHL, that's a way of brand marketing because now people in these countries who watch the Olympics or watch hockey will go, oh, who is this Sidney Crosby or who is this Alex Ovechkin or who is this Patrick Laine or Austin Matthews or whoever they're sending over for these teams, they can be like, wow, this player is really good. I wonder what team he plays for. And then they can always Google it and they can search the NHL for that. But one thing, like one comment that came out of this is somebody also asked Gary about the Olympics and he said he has talked to the president of the IOC regarding sending players to the Olympics. And the one comment, I actually wanted to bring this up because the one comment I will always make about the Olympics is that you don't need to disrupt the NHL regular season schedule. And I'll explain how you do it. Is that you let the teams continue playing, you send the top guys over, and the teams where, say the top players or whoever team gets sent over, you call guys up from the minors. And this could be a very interesting thing for the NHL because if you start doing that, then say you have a team in the bottom doesn't have that competition, they can start building some wins and getting back into the playoff race. Well, isn't that disrupting the season in a different way? It is, but I feel that you're not stopping the NHL from, A, generating revenue from games, but also it would create much excitement among the fans because it's like, oh, wow, like these top guys are going over every two weeks for every, you know, two weeks for every four years. So now it's like, well, now we have a chance to get back into the race. And I feel that for a, as a hockey fan, that could be an interesting dynamic. Given I don't know. I guess my- Sorry, sorry. Yeah, this could create a very interesting dynamic because you can create much excitement and the fans could be like, oh, wow, like, what about this team? Like, you know, they're only, you know, a couple of games back from this team and this team doesn't have their star players. Now this team can get back into it, right? It's interesting, but at the same time, say you're someone from from like a very high-powered team, it's like, okay, all my bet, like, my top two, my top line is or my top two lines even, are playing over there, I'm going to go watch this star-powered tournament. So what you have is a situation of sales cannibalization for TV ratings because the, Olymp- the Olympic hockey tournament is almost every night. Mm-hmm. I think if you wanted to make sure that the NHL season ends on top, ends in a reasonable fashion, what you would have to do is compress the schedule in, say, October, November. So you get that two weeks' worth of games spread into the early schedule. Right. And... It is a bit difficult because, like, yeah, the Winter Olympics just happens in prime hockey time. True, but I feel that in that prime hockey time is that, like I said, it could still create a very interesting dynamic with these teams that maybe are out of the playoff race and they say they're playing a very tough division where, you know, they're going up against these top teams every night. Well, now they have a chance to get into the playoff race because those teams are depleted. Yeah, but my worry would be it's you're probably not getting much eye on the TV or and you're losing butts and seats because like, oh, I could go to the hockey game here or I could go watch the Olympic hockey with all the good players. And the second one I would worry about is the qual- the product the qual- the quality of the product on the ice is probably going to be 
a lot less interesting because the stars are gone. So you are kind of watching, and for some teams it will be, you are watching an AHL team and play against NHL teams, and that's probably not very fun. Get where you're coming from, mm-hmm. but I feel like the on-ice product would suffer, and there would be a cannibalization of sales that I think a lot of players, if they had the option between doing that or just having more games in less time, like still play two games, but you're playing more, like one or two games more every month, right? And you get two a two week break. I think most, I think the PA would probably jump for that instead of a bunch of guys get hurt in an AHL beer fest. Well, okay, I'm being a bit cruel here. The AHL is still a bear. Like, there's still a lot of skill in the AHL. Mm-hmm. But I can see, like, that two weeks being not very popular and a lot of the players that are left over. And I guess the other issue is how would salary work for the players that aren't playing for their team? Would they forego their salary? Yeah, that's a very interesting topic, and I've been thinking about that too is that because these players will be taking two weeks off of their job in the nhl to go play in the olympics that could be something that the i the nhl the ioc and the pa could get together and talk about right because now you say okay well you're not in the nhl for two weeks what's going to happen now do you forfeit those two those two weeks of pay or do they get paid while they're over there yeah because i could like, if you're making $8 million a year and you're, let's say, two weeks, you miss eight games, that's 10. Like, if they're big weeks, it's you miss upward up to eight games. That's a tenth of your salary. So if you're giving up basically a million dollars, I feel like that might be a non-starter for some, for some players. Yeah, but I think that some players could see the benefit of doing that if they get to represent their country and come home with a gold medal, right? Is, is that is an Olympic gold medal worth a million dollars, though? I would say so. I don't know. I don't really. I can't really get into the head of a hockey player, so I don't really know if I could say. It's an interesting question for sure. And like, yeah, the the contract implications are super interesting. Like for Sidney Crosby, where I think he makes more money from his endorsements than he does from his actual NHL salary. Yeah, it's a no-brainer, go. Yeah, and even look at Connor McDavid, too, right? Like, that guy makes, what, 20-something million dollars in just advertising alone in a year? Yeah. But, like, for guys like, say, Market Warp Classic, or guys that most of their income is the NHL salary, then I think that becomes a stickier question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, even in one of the next Winter Olympics, maybe the NHL, the PA, and the IOC could maybe listen to this episode and get some ideas, Tim. Yeah, well, I hope they do. I hope they do. Yeah. Let's move on to our next story. The Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas has filed a lawsuit against San Jose Sharks forward Evander Kane for allegedly failing to pay back $500,000 in gambling markers taken out in eight loans between $20,000 and $100,000. The credit was extended to him on April 15th, which was in between games three and four of the first-round playoff series between the San Jose Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't understand. What is it with all these NHL players making these weird transactions for gambling money? Okay, not all these NHL players. It's just our boy Melnick and uh, Evander Kane. But what is this? Yeah, and remember when 
years ago when the NHL was looking into coming to Las Vegas, this this reason was one of the big things that they were like, well, the players are going to go out gambling before games and they'll take their minds off of what they do in the NHL. But so far you haven't heard many of these stories. And that's not to say that the NHL players don't go out and gamble, right? It's not anything like that. But I just feel personally that you shouldn't be doing that during a playoff series that you're trying to win. Yeah, but I guess the other thing is, like, what gets me more is the loan. Like, the, the loan structure's just weird. Like, eight loans? Really? That's bizarre. But also, I don't know. It's like, my question is, like, what are NHL players normally doing in this circumstance? Because if it's gambling instead of, say, doing cocaine, then because... I actually don't see it on top of the hour here, but there was a, a report done by The Athletic last week, I believe, where uh, they found that about half the people involved in the NHL that they were able to survey believed that cocaine use was common in the NHL. So if you're just replacing cocaine with gambling, meh. I'm honestly going to... I'm not going to lie to you, Tim. I honestly didn't even see that story from The Athletic. Yeah, I saw it bounce around Twitter on Wednesday or Thursday. Off the, do you subscribe to the Athletic? I don't know. It's one of those things that the Athletic has some really great articles, much like the Players Tribune. But I still just haven't gotten around to subscribe to their articles. Uh, if you wait till Christmas, what they usually do, they'll usually throw it on for like two bucks a month, and yeah, so that's when I usually re up. Because, like, for 24 bucks a year, that is a fantastic deal for the quality of journalism they do. Like, it's quality, in-depth reporting about sports. Yeah, I'll definitely have to look into that, Tim. Because I know that even some of the stories we talk about here on Top of the Hour has come from The Athletic and their reporters. Yeah, so uh, the story is called The Secret Everybody Knows, Drugs Like Cocaine and Molly Becoming More Popular popular in the NHL by Katie Strang. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely have to look that up and check it out, Tim. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic piece of reporting. New Jersey Devils forward Kyle Paramary, along with Scott Wilson and former Major League right fielder Jeff Francone, has filed a lawsuit against the city of Pittsburgh over the city's 3% jock tax on non-residents. This suit, backed by the PA of the NHL, MLB, and NFL, claims that the tax goes against the Constitution of the state of Pennsylvania, which states all taxes must be uniform. So I I really have no idea what to even say about this, because I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a tax guy, I don't really know what to really make of this story, Tim. Now, I'm not sure what you make of it, but I know for myself, I'm just like, I don't even know what they're filing a lawsuit against so what there are and i'm not a lawyer and i'm not from the state of pennsylvania so you have to take this with a mass grain of salt but what they're arguing is that the state the state constitution of pennsylvania suggests that taxes can't i actually don't want to make a statement here because it's i'm not entirely clear on the nuances of the pennsylvania state constitution but i well, I think their argument is is that the tax is being unduly applied to some people but not others. I don't know the law and I don't know the Constitution, so I can't say if they really have a case or not, to be honest. But, yeah, it's a, tech, it's a technical argument about tax versus the state Constitution. Okay. And, uh, I actually, I guess the, my question is, like, uh, 
Also, you're going to say Pittsburgh against your central jock tax on non-residents. Yeah, so, like, what exactly does the jock tax apply to here? I wasn't actually able to find out much. Pittsburgh. Let's see, jock tax, Pitt, Pitt County. Oh, not the right... Yeah, because if it's just on visiting athletes, I, I wonder... Pittsburgh shot has 3% earned income tax on visiting professional athletes. I actually don't, I doubt that even brings in all that much money, to be honest. Yeah, and it goes to fund uh, things like, it goes to fund the stadiums. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Along with Wilson, 3% earned income tax on visiting professional athletes as a non-resident facility usage fee for venues that are publicly funded, which includes all major sports venues in Pittsburgh. And city residents who use the facility just pay a 1% income tax. So it's athletes live in, do not live in Pittsburgh but play on the Pittsburgh team pay the 3% tax. So, yeah, I can actually see it's discrim... Yeah, if it's, it is very easy to argue that this is discriminatory. I have a feeling you probably won't get a sympathetic ear from much of the public. But it would be very difficult to argue that it is not discriminatory because it's obviously discriminating based on geography. Okay. Because it's even hitting people who live in a suburb but not Pittsburgh proper. Weird tax. It is weird, Tim. Let's move on to our next story, though. The Calgary Flames, their forward in Milan Lucic, was suspended two games for punching Columbus Blue Jackets forward Cole Sherwood. Lucic, who is not a repeat offender, received a double minor for roughing on the play. I'm not going to lie, this was a very, very overreaction by Milan Lucic to the play itself, because really all what Sherwood did was that he came in and he whacked the goalie on the hand where the puck was as he iced it, and Lucic just came over and just punched him right in the face as the whistle went. Yeah, the punch, it wasn't quite a sucker punch, but it was definitely not a hockey play. Honestly, no. it's hard because, like, once you get this, that suspension, you've got that repeat offender for life. But at the same time, that was not a hockey play. No, it was definitely not a hockey play. But the one thing that, and I was looking at it, is, yeah, I don't know. For me, it definitely was a suspension. There's no doubt about it. But I just feel that Milan Lucic didn't need to come over the top and punch him right in the face for a whack, right? And it's like when, say, Brady Tuchuk does it, you don't see a big defenseman take a swing at him. They basically just grab him and they have a couple of words, and that's about it. Yeah. So, honestly, yeah, I have no problem with it. Yeah, me neither. Let's go. Cl let's close out top of the hour by talking about the Detroit Red Wings have acquired Robbie Fabry from the St. Louis Blues in exchange for Jacob De La Rose. Fabry recorded two goals, four assists in six games in two goals, four assists, six points in 32 games for the St. Louis Blues, while De La Rose recorded three goals, six assists for nine points in 60 games for Detroit last season. And how does Robbie Fabry answer that? By scoring two goals, of course, with the, with the Detroit Red Wings. It's an interesting trade because there really wasn't much room for Fabry left in St. Louis, and he does have that long injury history. I'm not quite sure about the return of Jacob De La Rose, but uh, I think this is a pretty good return for Iserman if Fabry can stay healthy. Yeah, and that's one of the things, and I remember that Trevor Shackles made this, 
point on Twitter, I think it was last season, if I'm not mistaken, is that he was really pushing for Robbie Fabry to become an Ottawa Senator because it looked like the Blues are ready to cut him loose. And I can't remember who the player was from the Sens. He was suggesting that they trade to St. Louis for him. But I do remember, like, that's probably the, one of the big things that I remember about Robbie Fabry is that Trevor made that comment on Twitter about him. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, there, I feel like there is an elephant in the room that we still have to address on top of the hour. There is. Now, of course, if you've been following Twitter and you've been following the sports news over the last day or two, you might have noticed Sportsnet finally did it. They finally fired Don Cherry. And the reason why they fired Don Cherry is because of some comments he made during Coach's Corner on Saturday night regarding immigrants not buying poppies. And he went out and said that, you know, you people who live in this country, you like our milk and honey and you love our way of life. The way you should be going about this is by spending a couple of bucks to buy a poppy. And honestly, I think he's definitely not in the right for what he said. His comments were so... I wouldn't say out of character, but it's definitely behind the times. Absolutely. But the one thing that... I made this comment on Facebook is that of all the comments Don Cherry has ever made over the last year, several years, I'm surprised this is the comment that finally broke the camel's back and got him fired. Well, that's that's the thing about breaking the camel's back is uh, you build enough, you do enough shit, the thing that actually breaks it is going to be surprising. Yeah, because the one thing about Grapes is that, you know, and I look back on the last 15, 20 years of the comments he's made. He Remember, if he made the comments about uh, the Francophone community, he made comments about First Nations, female reporters. Like you see some of these comments he's made, and everybody was calling for his head then. But it was just this one comment about the about immigrants that come to this country and buying poppies, that's what finally broke it. And I remember somebody on Twitter, I can't remember the person's name, they said that, you know, a lot of these immigrants who come to Canada, they have to go through so many loops to just get citizenship in this country. And they also pointed out that, you know what, that Don's obviously singling out these immigrants when a lot of people in Canada who were born here don't even wear poppies. Yeah, and... I think that's what sticks in the craw for a lot of people. Although I think the poppy thing, it it's a difficult thing because it, like uh, World War One in particular, it's a very, it's one of the first times where Canada as a nation, as a united nation, really kind of gelled. Because uh, really up until, like through the late 1800s, early 1900s, if you remember social studies, it was an English nation and a French nation and not a united nation. And a lot of the Canadian military traditions born out of World War One really started to change that, especially Canada's military success. So, like, that's part of the reason why Remembrance Day has such a big emotional value to Canadians. And I think it's something that would be tragic to be lost, but uh, we can't just blame immigrants for something that's our own fault. If, like... <coughs> Honestly, if you're a new Canadian and you don't understand why why we do this thing, it's our fault. We're not transmitting the idea. Well, I know that there was an article that the Star put out today, 
regarding Don Cherry's comments. And they talked about how in the First and Second World Wars that when Canada went to war, that you also saw soldiers from India and these sort of places where a lot of... It's not really relevant, though, because uh, it's a different... It's not quite about... Like, the big thing about uh, Remembrance Day in the Commonwealth is that it's not this... It's not a big national not as revered because it doesn't have that nation building significance to it and that's why i really didn't like the article by the star because it's a lot of uh, it really just it's it's trying to say that a point was missed but then goes and misses the point itself because like for say the british expeditionary forces which were formed up with uh, troops from all over the commonwealth including the gurkhas and stuff it was more World War Two and uh, the decol- British decolonization where their national identities were born. Or, or, well, I don't want to say born, unsuppressed. And to bring them up to this is, it's kind of taking someone else's story and bastardizing it for your own gain. And I think that's kind of shitty. And it's funny how you can be responding to someone someone being shitty and be really shitty yourself. And I think that's we have to be really careful when looking at someone who's being said something that is well just hateful and not do the introspection that needs to come with it in the race to dunk on someone we don't like. And uh, this is something I find with a lot of politics, especially around people our age is politics seems to be about yelling at your dad you're looking at something that from a past generation that you don't quite like and you'd like to say to someone that you know personally and twitter's a safe space to do it and instead of being introspective it just becomes dunking don cherry did something awful don't stoop to his level well tim you know with all the heaviness i best I guess the best way to go about this is segueing into the four games we're going to talk about this evening. Now, the four games we're going to talk about, we've got the Sens versus the Rangers, Sens versus the Islanders, Kings versus the Senators, and the Hurricanes versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Rangers. This is a 6-2 Senators victory. Sens goes to scored by Jean-Gabriel Pajot with two, Tyler Ennis, Ronald Hainsey, Brady Tuchuk, and Vladislav Domestikov. Rangers goes to scored by Kapo Kaka and Artemi Panarin. Shots were 34-30 for the Rangers. Kapokakos opens the scoring for the Rangers to make it 1-0 on a backhand. Jean-Gabriel Pajot ties the game at 1 after Anthony Duclair hit the post on the wraparound. Tyler Ennis scores to make it 2-1 on a Thomas Shabbat rebound. Ron Hainsey scores to make it 3-1 on a Dechuk screen pass. Pajot snipes at top shelf on a breakaway to make it 4-1. Brady stuffs at home to make it 5-1. Artemi Panarin all alone scores to make it 5-2 on a power play. And Nemesikos scores in front to make it 6-2 Senators, which would be the final. So as always, Tim, I had to condense watch this game because, as always, it was a third-line plug recording night on Monday. So let's talk about the man of the hour, who's too sweet to be sour, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, two goals on three shots. The one comment i got to make to him, he did continue his white-hot play 
and there's games this week. Yeah, and Pajot has been, in the absence of Colin White and Logan Brown, has taken uh, the first-line duties and really run with them. It doesn't help that two of the four teams he played this week are hot and hot garbage. This is a game where Ottawa really came out flat for the first 10 minutes, didn't really record a shot until the Capo goal. Sorry, the Capo Cap. Caco Capo goal. That Capo Caco, that's a hard name to say, eh? Yeah, it's like it's that dual consonants and I imagine it's like imagine if Marky Mark second name wasn't Marky. Sorry, it wasn't Mark. It was something else that's close, but not that. It would be just as difficult to say. Oh, that would be hard to say. And by the way, I love that poll they made of Marky Mark. Really? Oh yeah, man, that's that's a good poll. Nobody ever thinks about Marky Mark when they talk about Mark Wahlberg. They only think of Mark Wahlberg, the movie star. Yeah. As long as we don't have to think about Vanilla Ice in movies. Ugh. You ever see you ever but, see that uh this movie Cool as Ice? Uh I saw the JonTron review. Oh, I saw it. It's garbage. Don't ever watch it. It looks pretty fucking garbage. But uh after the Capo goal it was Right up till about goal four, it was all Ottawa. Like, uh, just Ottawa went hard to the net, and uh, the Rangers crumpled. And you can definitely tell that this is a game between two rebuilding teams. But score effects also came into play as, after the Pajot goal came in, Ottawa kind of took the foot off the gas. Let's move on and talk about Brady Chuck. One goal, one assist. The one thing that I've noticed on Twitter when people talk about this game is that he was pissing off the Rangers all night in front of the net. Now, this is funny because when the Rangers played the Senators earlier this season, Brady DeChuck and Mark Stone were going at it in front of the net. Now, from what you saw, was this um, a repeat of that, Tim? Or it was just people on Twitter where he was just pissing off everybody? Oh, he was just pissing off everybody. And, like, it was a very aggressive... It's what we've come to expect out of Brady DeChuck. Let's just say that. And he was in the net, in everyone's face, and, if I recall correctly, he ended up and he ended up getting drawing Lemieux into a roughing play that got him kicked out of the game. So, yeah, he was pissing everyone off. Is there anything else I can really say about this game? Because, again, I didn't get to watch the whole thing because we were predisposed. Um, I've got a it's... couple more notes to make if you want to. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tyler Ennis, one goal and six shots. I think overall, since he's become an Ottawa Senator, I've surprisingly been pretty happy with his production so far is that he seems to be a very good complement as a third third or fourth pairing centerman. And I really like that he's willing to get in front of the net and he's willing to try and get the, some deflections. The Really, the only other note I can make, Anders Nilsson, 32 saves, a .941 save percentage. Played really well this game to secure the W. Uh, but, I mean, that's just pretty common for Anders Nilsson nowadays, Tim. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, the one thing I do want to note, this was uh, Eric Branstrom going in, went into this game knowing that he would be watching the Islanders game from the press box. I actually think Eric Branstrom had a pretty good game in limited minutes. Uh, he was definitely on the right side of the puck for the entire night and was on the on the ice for a goal four. And honestly, clean game, right side of the puck, and he was skating well. So like, it was a quiet game for Eric Branstrom, but it was it was a solid game for Eric Branstrom. Yeah. Uh, the last comment I want to make, and this is something that over last season I definitely mentioned when talking about certain DJs and hockey arenas and the music they play. I was really happy with the Rangers DJ and his use of both Metallica and White Zombies music in this game. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess I wasn't paying enough attention to the art of DJ re there. 
I know. Well, I mean, given that we had Alex on the show last season, I'm surprised that you've kind of stopped paying attention to that stuff, Tim. It's a bit hard, I find, when... I know this is a cop-out, but like when I'm at home, and especially if I've come into the game midway, I find it's a bit more difficult. Yeah, that's that. fair. That's not that's a fair that's a fair assessment because I'm the, kind of the same way. I mean, I watch the games as soon as I get home, and I'm not fully paying attention to the DJs. But certain games, I'll kind of make that a note. If say the game has been slow, I'll make comments about certain songs that the DJ's been playing or certain things in the arena I've noticed. Uh, especially last season with some of the games where I was just like, oh, for fuck's sakes, what do I have to talk about this game? But I would start noticing stupid little things like that, and it really made the episodes interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Yo, you know what we should do is we should see if we can get song recommendations through Alex. Oh my god, that would be amazing. We should just be like, hey, Alex, play this song. No. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, no. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make about this game if you want to head on to the second game. No, it was a pretty open shut after that first capo goal. Great effort by Ottawa, though, so. Gotta give them that. Sens versus Islanders. This is a 4-1 to one Islanders victory. Sens goals scored by Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Islanders goals scored by Cal Cutterbuck, Cole, Baradou, Casey Signakis, and Josh Bailey. Shots were 32-28 for the Islanders. The Islanders outplayed Ottawa throughout this game. Ottawa started the game off playing solid D and having a decent offensive attack, which was capped by the Jean-Gabriel Pajot opening goal. However, the Islanders began to outplay them, which would continue throughout the game, despite Ottawa having moments of getting their game going. So let's talk about Craig Anderson, 28 saves, a .875 save percentage. This is a game where the defense really let him down once again. Yeah. Like, normally you could... You can absolve the defense and blame the goalie if you look at the shot distribution and they're not all in beautiful spots. That was not this game. New York's New York's even strength shot and almost all of their goals came from right in the slot. And the centers were letting them right in all night. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing I noticed about Ottawa's defense is that they really began to panic in their own zone in the first period as the Islanders' offensive attack got going. Now, is this something that you also noticed, or is this just something that you began to notice as the time went on? I'm not going to lie, I didn't get a chance to watch the full game. Uh, I was talking with a realtor. So I didn't really get a chance to watch this game at all, so I'm going by the stat line. And, actually, the charts from Hockey Biz have been fantastic for this, of just looking at the shot map. And the shot map is, holy shit, all the shots are in the slot. And you could see, like, once New York gets rolling, Ottawa really falls off. And yeah, there's not a lot of light in the game. No, it was the a only, pretty dull game, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. The only sender who was on the right side of the shot clock was Chris Tierney. And honestly, the Ottawa defense was absolutely getting destroyed. Uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, one goal and three shots, continuing his hot play versus New York team's the one note I do want to make of this game, and I was noticing because I was watching, the one thing I will actually point out is that even though I condensed watch the Rangers game, the Islanders and the next game we're going to talk about, I only saw the first two periods and the third period I had ended up condensed watching because it just, you know, my week was however it was. But the one notice I, the one note I did notice is that, I th- oh God, I think it was either Noodles or... Gord Miller pointed out that this is the first time since 1994 Ottawa has played the Rangers and Islanders back-to-back in New York. 
And that's interesting because you would think that would be like a no-brainer that they would play the Rangers one night and the Islanders back-to-back. Say like if you were in California and you would play the Kings and then the Ducks back-to-back and then you'd play the Sharks a night or two later. But that's really not a thing, and I never even really noticed that until well, that game. For Ottawa, it is less urgent for them to do the back-to-back in New York than it is for them to say the Western Road Sweep because it's a short hop from New York to Ottawa. I think it's only an hour flight. The other thing is it's you've got three teams in the areas, and I think for the West Coast teams – they know that they probably work together to allow those Western road trips to come through because it is such a big time investment for teams to come from East to West. Mm-hmm. But for New York accommodating, like for three New York teams to kind of accommodate someone in conference, it's not as essential. So I feel like they allow that one to fall through more. Yeah. But the thing is, even uh, when I was cheering for the Canucks, like I noticed that, that the ducks and Kings and sharks when you play teams like that in California, they would never play back-to-back nights against those teams. They would always have a night in between to get to those cities. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess the other thing is like the distance between the teams. It's a lot larger with the exception of LA and Anaheim. Yeah, because we're it's only what an hour in between, hour and a half between Anaheim and Los Angeles. Well, they're part of the same metro area, right? That but, that that's true, but I'm I'm talking about distance-wise in between the two cities. I mean. It depends depends on the time of day. <laughs> but seriously, those highways suck. So Tim, should we head on to the third game of the evening? Yeah, yeah. Kings versus Senators. This is a three to two Senators overtime victory. Kings goes scored by Dustin Brown and Tyler Defoley. Sens goes scored by Connor Brown, Artem Anisioff, and Jean Gabriel Pajot in overtime. Shots were thirty one twenty eight for the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa outplayed L.A. for majority of this game. Despite an evenly played first and part of the second period, Ottawa began to take over with a number of scoring chances, which they would be rewarded with as they would take this game in overtime. Now, before we go on to, once again, the man of the hour is too sweet to be sour, there's a few other players we need to talk about. Anders Nilsson, 28-6 saves, a .928 save percentage. Didn't see much action this game, but for what he saw, I thought he looked pretty solid. Yeah. Here's the thing I noticed about the LA Kings in this game is for the vast majority of the game, very slow, not engaged in the game, but every so often you saw the flashes of those brilliant teams from the last decade, and they'd be able to put some very strong chances on the net, and I think Dustin Brown was a lot. This was less true of him than the other players, but overall I felt yeah, the LA team was kind of weak except for those that spurts of brilliance you would see. Ottawa's newly minted top line of uh, Paul Paggio and Brown were fantastic. Oh, my God, were they ever. They looked really, really good in this game. And actually, another guy who looked really good in this game was Anthony Duclair. One goal and two shots. Overall, thought he had a really solid game. And Duclair's been one of these guys that I've been very happy with over the last several games as he's finally got his game going. But the one thing I really like about Duclair, whether he's on the power play or even strength, is that he's never standing around. He's always moving with the puck. He's always motoring to try and get himself in position to either get a one-timer off or to make a goal, much like in the game versus the Rangers where he had that beauty wraparound that got later got tapped in. 
In this game, there, after his goal, he had another really good chance in the second there. Sorry, no, before his goal there, before his tapping goal, he, in that really strong spurt of uh, Ottawa play just before that, he had another beautiful chance that uh, Jack Campbell just denied him on. Oh so my god, I, I do remember that. Oh, I couldn't believe he fucking didn't score. Yeah, and it's... The thing that I'm noticing more about Anthony Duclair is that I think if you give him a leash, he won't... And I think at this point in his career, it's starting to come out that if you give him a leash, he's not going to burn you. Like, he's really proving to be an intelligent player. He uses his speed very well. There was instances where Noodles was really top, and I think... Was it Noodles or Gordon Miller that was really pointing this out, that uh, Pajot had the puck... Anthony Duclair is about to make breaks. sees, nope, the play's not there, looks again, oh, there it is, and just, boom, hits the Jets. Gets the puck, it just gets a clean zone entry. And that speed and thought process is what you really need in the modern NHL, and uh, I think uh, Anthony Duclair wants to stick around with the Senators. It's going to be nothing but a plus for them. One guy I do got to make a comment about, uh, Jonathan Davidson played his first NHL game with the Sens, Two shots, and I love the fact that, as always, he did the rookie lap before. But the one thing I noticed a lot of people are pointing out on Twitter is that it was basically an empty arena when he went off for the first skate. Oh, that's a shame. And it sucks because the Davidson line didn't get much ice. Davidson played five minutes, Schloppik played six, Bodan played four. No, but that's a, you know, that's really interesting with Davidson in this game is that... It's nice to see that the players that we acquired in the Matt Duchesne and Ryan Dezingle trades are now coming up to the NHL. We saw it with Davidson. Obviously, Anthony Duclair is really panning out for us. And I don't want to say it's it's too early to say that we won those trades. We definitely won the Dezingle trade because he ended up going off to the Hurricanes. And Duclair has been nothing but fabulous for us. But no, and it's Duchesne's really... Duchesne's off to Nashville. Yeah, and Duchesne's off to Nashville. But... Honestly, we haven't yet to see what Davidson can do in the NHL, given that that was his first NHL game. Yeah, and I think we get a better read of Davidson in the next game. But uh, it's just a shame that he's there, and he got such a short shift, especially against, quite frankly, a team that's not very good. Although, to be fair, in like sheltered minutes, the Schlappick line it didn't play very well. So I can see why they got stapled to the bench. But when they were matched against, uh, like, third line and fourth line, they actually did pretty well, so I'm surprised they didn't get to see more time of that. But uh, as much as I said that the Nick Paul, the Paul Pajot-Brown line was fantastic and uh, they're showing up, Nick Paul and Jean-Gabriel Pajot's showing it overtime was fantastic. Uh, I actually really liked uh, the, like, Duclair, Tierney, Kachuk lines were fantastic, and same with Abramov. Abr- sorry, Anisimov. Nemestikov and Ennis were also very good. And they controlled play very well as well. And it just, what like, the big thing I can take away from this game is LA is very slow. Yeah, and that was the one thing that even I made the comment last season when we talked about the Kings, is that the Kings have been playing this big, burly, physical style for the past several years. And obviously it's garnered them much success with their two cup wins. But as their division is more leaning towards a speed-based game, most notably with the Vegas Golden Knights, you're seeing that the Kings are now... Are basically, their game is obsolete now because they don't have the speed to catch up with the Golden Knights or the Oilers or the Flames or the Canucks now, where these teams are 
burning them with their speed every night they play them. Well, the other thing is, I don't think they actually threw that many hits, to be honest. Like, they don't forecheck that hard. They don't throw that many hits. They weren't a hard team to really play against, as, as far as NHL teams are concerned. Like, Drew Doughty was dreadful. Like, just dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. Yeah, he didn't get the right side of any of the Ottawa defensemen. Like, I don't think he even got a shot against Eric Brandstrom and Ron Hainsey. You know what's like, really... how. Yeah, you know what's really funny about Drew Doughty is, do you remember at the beginning of the season when he made those comments about losing to the Canucks? Yeah. Boy, I bet he feels silly losing to the Senators like this. Has Drew Doughty always been such a whiner? No, he hasn't, actually. And that was the one thing, if you remember when we did our top five favorite hockey players of all time, I put Anze Kopitar on the list, and I made a point that I was going to put Drew Doughty on the list but his actions and his antics have really soured me over the last couple of years. It's really been that over the last couple of years. I've really noticed he's really, really just complaining and whining about everything because he was never like this. He was always kind of the fun loving kind of guy who didn't take himself too seriously, but it seems like he's just gotten sort of as older as he got. he seems like he's gotten very cynical and a bit bitter. Yeah, and now he's complaining that the media is taking his words out of context, too, about some dust-up uh, reference to but after the Kings practice in Toronto, where the two-time Stanley Cup offered his thoughts on what it takes to... Yeah, so he's saying that Toronto doesn't play a right to win a cup. His comments about Matthew Kachuk, his comments about losing to... The Canucks. The Canucks. His comments even two years ago about how it would be embarrassing to lose to an expansion team. And the Kings then go and lose to an expansion team in the playoffs. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's like I didn't realize that, like, I guess it's just I didn't pay much attention to hockey in Southern California. But, yeah, it's just kind of, when we take the lifetime achievement Norris back, this guy's a dick. Yeah. But the one thing I do want to make a comment about that is that him and Brady DeChuck had a little discussion there during the game. And I was like, Oh my god, I would love it so much if him and Brady now had a feud as well. Yeah. Well, just imagine, like, if all of his kids have a feud with, feud with Drew Doughty, does Keith Kachuk have to have a feud with Drew Doughty? Okay, did you see that tweet by Brian Fiver Six he put up after this game? No, 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 what happened? Uh, he said, he says, I would love to see one day that Drew Doughty and Keith Kachuk get into a fight at an Outback Steakhouse or something. Hello, Brian. Um, Connor Brown, three shots. I really liked how he played in this game. But I think we delayed the inevitable, Tim. Let's talk about Jean-Gabriel Pajot, part of the OT winner. And I'm going to open up the floor for a bit of discussion because the discussion on Twitter after this game was about whether or not the Ottawa Senators should re-sign Jean-Gabriel Pajot because... Coming into this season, everybody know he was a, a UFA July 1st. And with all the youth that the Senators have on their team, it looked like Pajot was going to be the next guy out the door. But given his play over the last three games that we've talked about, he's really making an argument for whether the team should actually keep him. Now, do you feel that the Senators should keep him? Or do you feel that we'll never get a bigger upside for him if we trade him? I get both sides of the argument, but I think we should keep 
Jean-Gabriel Pajot. And this is going to be, this is going to be odd for me because it's a completely not stats-based argument. Pajot is a local fan favorite who's actually good at hockey. And Ottawa doesn't have a lot. The Senators lately don't have a lot of good feels and good stories like that. Trading that away, I think, would be bad for the Senators' fandom in the long run because it's hard to get those sorts of very feel-good stories. You know, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Like, I see the argument for both, right? I see that, oh, we should resign him because... He brings a lot of leadership, and as you were saying, he's a local boy who's actually good at hockey, and he's a feel-good story for the auto centers. I'm actually more in the boat of trading Pajot, and I'll explain why. Because if you look at the depth chart of the Ottawa Senators, and somebody on Twitter actually pointed out that the Senators at center are actually looking pretty good right now, because you have Colin White, Logan Brown, Josh Norris is really coming into his own, as a centerman, he could be a bottom six center, but with the money that Pajot might be looking at in free agency, to me, it doesn't make sense to pay him that money if we're going to be using him as a bottom six guy. The only thing I can see is that if we keep Pajot, we would have to move him to the wing to open up a spot at center for some of the young kids. Yeah, because that's one thing about the Senators that it's easy to forget is that they have a lot of bodies at center. A lot, a lot of bodies. Yeah, and with the 2020 draft coming up, and given that we have a really good chance of really top picks, one of the top kids right now is also a centerman. So if, say, Ottawa and San Jose both tank out and the Senators get the best odds, like we could get, say, a potential the first pick and also a really good centerman along with them. Yeah, and that's... That's kind of where it is because it's like, if this was just a cold logic play, I'd 100% agree with you. And like, if this was like NHL 20, I'd probably be trading Pajot. For, like, if Edmonton came knocking and say, here's Pulley and a first, I'd be running out the door with that deal. But I think, like, the fan emotional side, I think Pajot is, he just brings too much of that sort of thing he can't really quantify. And it's weird that I'm making that sort of argument. Because I usually am not, I usually don't like that sort of argumentation, but I think in this case, it's, we've seen enough fan favorites go out the door. I think it would be hard to lose another one, even if it is the obviously correct decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm totally, I totally agree with that, that, you know, you look at Pajot and with a number of the star fan favorites that have left the Sens over the last couple of seasons, that if the Sens part with Pajot, the fans could be looking at this going, okay, well, there's another guy that we've grown attached with who we drafted, developed, and he's turned into a good player for us, and now the Senators aren't willing to pay him either. Yeah, although I think I think it's going to, I think it'll be a lot less extreme with Pajot because mm-hmm. people are already seeing, oh, here's all these young guys coming up. Like, I think it'll be a bit less extreme. The other thing, though, is, like, Pajot is clutch as shit. Like, I think that's one thing that does get kind of missed when you talk about Pajot. Is mad is that guy good at scoring clutch goals. I know, because you can look at his hat-trick against the Habs in 2013. You look at his four-goal performance against the Rangers in 2017. You look at... God, I mean, just throw a rock at whatever moment he's actually done 
right? Because as you're saying, Pajo is very clutch, but the only way I see the Senators keep him is that if he's willing to make the move, say to the wing and not, and not every center can do that. Right. And obviously I know Connor Brown can do both. Ennis can kind of do both, but Anisimov can do both. Yeah. And well. Anisimov can do both, but I, and I'm sure somebody on Twitter is going to hear this and probably go, well, no, he did this. I don't know if he's played wing before. I know he's been a centerman, but I don't know if the Sens have used him on the wing. Yeah. It's surprisingly hard to check something like that because he's just listed as a center and guys who play both are often listed as doing both. Oh, also, how did we not mention this before? Today is Jean-Gabriel Pajot's birthday. Happy birthday, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Wait, that's yeah. today, correct? Yes, November 11th, 1992. He's the same age as we are. Fucking solid. See, this is why we're going to name the episode after him, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, like absolutely fantastic player, and I know it. It might be the right move, and they'd definitely be maximizing his value. I'd be very sad to see him go. Like it's, it's one of those arguments where it's like, from the asset management side, I definitely see trading him as the right thing, but my heart wants to keep him. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people on Twitter are saying too—that they see what we can get from in a rebuild, but also the fans would be sad to see him leave as well. Yeah. No, he's. Such a good player. Well, I don't know. It's like I—I I guess I always worry that I tend to overvalue the like the center's own, and I think all fans do that to a degree. Yeah, because, because that's our team. That's the one. The good little things they do. Yeah, exactly. Because like we see it, and we know they're in your secrecies, and we know we see them every night. So we way we kind of feel like we know them because we watch them every night and we've interacted with them, but also because. A casual hockey fan, say you could be a Sens fan and look at, say, I'll use the Ducks as an example, right? You can say, well, this guy is, on the surface, is good at these things, but he's not good at this thing. A Ducks fan could look at us and be like, well, Pajot is this guy, and he might value him this way, but we'd be like, well, no, I don't agree with this, he's good in this, he's good in that, and that's what he would be acquiring. Yeah, well, that's the other thing that I think it's why it's always so fun to talk with fans of other teams is you get that perspective. That you get to know what other teams really appreciate about, like, the little things that their players are doing. And in the case of, actually, one of, that's one of the best things about trade. One of the things that's an interesting part of a trade is that, like I remember during the Carlson trade, it was uh, some of the San Jose fans were like, you're going to really like Dylan DeMello. He does a lot of really smart things along the wall, right? And I know it's a devastating trade for you guys, but you're getting some, you're getting a really good young defenseman here. Yeah, and they were saying the same about Chris Tanieri as well. Yeah, and it's interesting just to see how other teams value their own players and players that they're about to get. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game. If you want to head on to the fourth and final game of the evening. Yeah, let's do her. Okay. Hurricanes versus Senators. This is a 4-1 to one Senators victory. Hurricanes goals are scored by Andreas Sujanikov. Senators goals are scored by Philip Shalapik, Vladislav Nemistikov, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and the real American, Brady Dechuk. Shots were 39-30 for Carolina. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams came up flying, start, starting to... 
Both teams came out flying to start, throwing the puck, throwing the body, and creating scoring chances. Carolina began to outplay Ottawa early, but the Senators got their game going, which led to a three-goal lead. Despite this, Carolina began outplaying Ottawa throughout the second period, second half of this game, but Ottawa would secure the W. Jesus, Honestly. and here I thought Don Cherry's English was bad. Fuck, Fuck. couldn't believe that. Uh, let's talk about this. Anders Nilsson, 38 saves, a .974 save percentage. Absolutely stoned Carolina in this game. And for me, he was one of the big reasons Ottawa got the W. Well, it's interesting. When one goalie's playing .97 and the other goalie's playing .87, you don't have a hope in hell. But I would also like to point out, Tim, that the NHL rewarded Anders Nilsson as the first star for this week. And the thing is, is like Anders Nielsen wasn't making easy stops either, because Carolina, once they decided to sh- really show up, they shredded the Ottawa defense. Absolutely, just absolutely just skated through it and fired at will. And this is a team that threw forty, sh- almost forty shots at the Ottawa netminder, and he turned away all but one. Nielsen stole the game. Oh, he did. It was actually a really good game for Anders Nilsson. Another guy I really liked this game, as I did the previous games, Anthony DeClaire. Now, he only had one assist on two shots, but the one thing I really liked, I really liked his hustle in this game, and his effort to try and score was top-notch. Mm-hmm. Well, you could tell that he really wanted it. Although, this was a game where it was scoring by committee. Pretty much every line had a goal. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of players that we could talk about, right? There's Vladislav Nemestikov, Carl White, guys like that. But I do want to talk about Nemestikov because he had one goal, and what's really surprising, he had a fight against Ryan Dezingle. And the one thing that the commentators mentioned in this game is that Ryan Dezingle can really throw them. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking that, like, when have I ever seen Ryan Dezingle fight, though? He fought a few times last year, and it was always surprising when he did. I don't know. I, I maybe maybe because last season was such a blur to me at times, where I tend to forget that Ryan Dezingle could throw him. But the one thing that I really noticed is that he really was throwing some haymakers at Nemestikov. When you see him in the bench, his face is all beaten up. It's like, holy crap, Dezingle! Like I totally didn't realize you could throw him. Yeah, the dude only had twenty nine minutes of penalty time with the Senators last year. Because, yeah, he's definitely more of a skilled player than he is, throws up the fisticuffs, puts up the dukes and goes, but uh, no, uh, the few times he did fight, it was always surprising. Yeah. One guy who didn't miss a step in his return is Colin White with one assist. That was a beauty goal. Holy shit. Oh, I know. Colin White was one of these guys that, and I knew he was coming back, but... I honestly didn't think he was going to do as well in this game, given that he just came back from an injury, right? But the second that I saw him out there, he was getting the puck out, and he was moving the puck well, and overall, I thought he played a pretty solid game. Yeah, and with the exception of the schlappick Dame davidson line, they played more, they got more ice than they did last game. However, they're still sub-10 minutes. So all the other lines were at about 17-18 minutes. So Colin White played really well in his first game back in pretty decent ice time. Honestly, at 5-on-5, five five, Ottawa looked pretty good at the early going, and then uh, the wheels kind of came off the bus a bit as the game went on. And you could definitely tell that Carolina is a playoff team this year. Mm-hmm. And just now, the I... difference between the two teams is it's night and day. I can't remember. Was it this game that the first like six, seven minutes of the game, 
Ottawa was on the penalty kill the whole time? Uh, I don't think it was this game. Was it? No, it wasn't this game? Okay. It was one of the games that I remember that... No, it must have been this game because I remember that the Senators were on the penalty kill for like first like five or so minutes of the game and then they finally got her going. Maybe. Yeah. Let me just open up. Because okay. I got a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were. They had some penalty trouble. Okay. Um, one big note we got to make of this. The Ottawa Senators set a franchise record this evening. Yeah, almost an NHL record, too. Yeah, the fastest two goals ever scored in four seconds in between Vladislav Demistikov and Jean-Gabriel Peugeot. The Peugeot goal. Oh, that was so good. The defense was like, oh, fuck, yeah, he's, that's going to go in. Yeah, and that's just such a weird... It's just... I don't want to say it's a weird goal because it's just... How did the defense just let that happen? Because, like, you know that rhyme time hasn't been hasn't been great this game. So all of a sudden you just get carved around a beautiful shot over the glove. How do you let that happen? I don't know. Like, I, I really don't know, Tim. Yeah, but otherwise it was... Beauty goal, great pass by Nick Paul. And honestly, it worked out. But you can kind of tell after that Carolina finally woke up. And I'm not sure if it's Ottawa took the foot off the gas or they just weren't able to keep up with once uh, they really started going. I don't know. Uh, the one, well, actually, well, the one sort of lighthearted comment I do want to make is on the Brady to Chuck goal. That Sally that he did. Come on, dude. You got. You can't tell me that was ripped right out of NHL '94. <laughs> the only thing that was missing was the NHL '94 goal on that. But uh, but actually, sorry, Tim. The one thing I thought that that celebration was from was if you remember the game Blades of Steel on the original Nintendo was when um, at the end of the game when you won, the players would have like the throw the arms up in the air. I thought that's what it came from, but I was like, well, I guess it did come from NHL '94. Yeah, but uh, no, and you can definitely tell that was a monkey off his back because, like, goals hadn't really been coming for him. Brady Kachuk has another goal tonight against these same Carolina Hurricanes, although uh, the Senators are getting crushed. It is uh, 6-2 Carolina. The funny thing is I just opened up my fantasy hockey app here on my phone, and I just noticed that, too. Him... And um, a certain gentleman who plays with the Carolina Hurricanes that apparently it will not be the spokesperson for Moxie's anytime soon. Honestly, Dougie Hamilton, if I want to say one thing about Carolina, Dougie Hamilton had a fantastic game. Like, he absolutely dummied the Senators on offense. Although, uh, him and Slavin were on the ice for two of the goals against but it, I don't think it was their. I don't think it was really their fault per se. But they really took it to the Senators once the game got going. Yeah, that's true. Now, as I was mentioning with the DJ for the Rangers game, we got to talk about our DJ, Mister Alex Marchand, because the one thing that I noticed in this game is there was two songs in particular he played, which really got me amped up because they're the songs when I'm in the gym, on the treadmill that i always listen to and one of them of course is the instant classic get ready for this by two unlimited but the other jam and this is actually one of my favorite jams of all time dj cool let me clear my throat 
Oh, you heard that one too. Sick. Yeah, no, uh, the music was really on point tonight. Sorry, on Saturday night. I know. It was fantastic, man. Alex was really killing it that game. Yeah, so shout-outs were shout-outs are deserved, man. Yeah, good job, Alex. So, Tim, with that being said, I don't really have any more notes to make. If you want to head on to the close. Can we just, like, sit down and really appreciate that we we had four games to talk about this week about a very bad Ottawa Senators team, and we won three of them? That is true, actually. That is true. I mean, I, I don't know. I love this season. I don't know how to feel about this, Tim. Like, you know, I don't know. I'm just so full, uh... Ah, oh, God, what's the word, Tim? Joy? No, not that. Less shame? Yeah. Less shame. Not yeah. Don Cherry and his shitty comments can bring us down this week. That's true. Like, I was honestly... I was like, man, what is this warm, fuzzy feeling I'm feeling inside? Is this optimism? Is this joy? Do, do I have diabetes? Like, I don't know. I don't know, Tim. Yeah. You know what's kind of crazy, though, is I honestly didn't realize how bad a coach's quarter segment could really get because, like, it started with him trying to be culpa about the Scott Sabarin hit, his reaction to the Scott Sabarin hit last week, where uh, he was like, oh, I, didn't, I knew he wasn't hurt, which is, like, the biggest dick. I thought that was the biggest dick move. He was going to go for that episode, but nope, we're adding in racism. Yeah, but actually one thing we didn't comment during the Scott Sabrin hit last week, and actually I didn't see the clip until after we did the episode, was that you saw the clip of Mark Borbieski down by the ice telling fans to not take pictures. Because you saw the one fan taking the picture and he goes, no. He points at him and he goes, no, don't do it. You know what? Kind of the behavior I expect out of uh, Mark Borbietsky because he's always been like that, like able to talk to the media, very classy guy, really stand up guy, and that's just another example of why he's a good guy to keep around the team. Yeah, well, do you remember when we interviewed Jamie McLennan and he mentioned that in the interview too, right? He said that when Borbietsky hit Noodles over the head with a stick last season, that Boro called him like a day or two after just to see if he was doing okay. <laughs> Yeah, you know if we ever get if we ever get for like get Boro on the show, we should ask him about that. Oh, that would be fantastic. I'd, I'd like to get Mark Borbieski on the show. He seems like a good oh. character guy. Oh, it'd be such a fun interview. Like he's one of the guys where it's like if I see it's him in like the interperiod interview, I know it's going to be a good time. Because like he's one of the guys who, and this is a really. It's a hard-to-find skill in the NHL. Presence of mind to be freaking, like, really funny, but also get really poignant opinions after you've just been skating your ass off for 20 minutes. Like, Mark Borbietsky was fantastic at it. Eric Carlson was really good at it. The infamous Andy Sutton. Tim, Tim, are you asking me, or are you telling me? I'm telling you. So you're an expert? I was there. You're an expert. You said <laughs> you saw it? You said you were there? You said that you saw it in, you're an expert? <laughs> okay, because you're, you're not an expert. I wasn't there. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, when you get a really good interview, yeah, like Mark Borbietsky's awesome at it. It's always, a, it's always a pleasure to get a few words out of him. And I, think it, I think he's 
definitely a very good alternate captain for the Senators. I think so. I mean, I don't know how he would fit into the team's plans going forward, but you know what? If we can keep him around for a little bit longer, I'll be more than happy. He's almost the perfect. He's the perfect seventh defenseman. Honestly, he's really he's awesome in the room. Can plug in and give give you a hard working shift. He seems like a complete team player. So yeah, he's the perfect guy to keep around as number seven. So I'd happy to see him. Re- it's weird to say it about like someone who is a sixth seventh defenseman, but I'd be happy to see Mark Borbieski retire as a center. Yeah, I'll be honestly happy with it. Yeah. So, Tim, with that being said, I don't have any more notes to make if you just want to head on to the close for another evening. Yeah. Sounds good, my friend. All right. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We are on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M9 Honey Badger and at Great White Gipster, GR8 W-I-T-E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or how Mark Borowiecki is a good guy, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensetask at gmail.com. So, Tim, we've got four games coming up this week. We've got the game this evening in Carolina. Wednesday, we are in New Jersey to play the Devils. Friday at home to play the Philadelphia Flyers and Saturday in Buffalo to play the Sabres. That's a jam-packed action coming up. I know. Hopefully I can actually sit down and watch all four games at once this week, Tim. Actually, no, I, I guess three because tonight's a recording night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I probably won't be able to watch the Friday night game against Philly, but I'm going to try my best to make room for the rest of yeah, or even if you just condense watch the game so you have an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. This has been Tim Jackson. Go Sens, guys. <laughs>